Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Okinawa Karate Podcast. As always, I am Josh Simmers, coming to you from the birthplace of karate, Okinawa, Japan. You're about to listen to part two of my interview series with Sensei Michael Hagen. In this episode, we will learn about his days competing at the highest level as a national kata champion and competing in the WKF on Team Kata. We'll end the series as we learn about Michael's introduction to Sensei Oshiro Toshihiro and his love affair with Yamani Ryu, his newfound love affair, because up to that point he was just a kata guy. Had uh, picked up a weapon a few times but never really had an interest until he saw someone at the national level competing and moving the bow completely different than everyone else. That sparked an interest that uh, sticks with him to this day. I hope you enjoy part two with Sensei Michael Hagen. So on to Hokkaido. Hokkaido. So I uh, talked my way into a Japanese Ministry of Education uh, scholarship where I got a stipend, um, a, you know, 10000 uh, or, you know, essentially $1,000 a month to go to school. And so when I saw the, the school, I was like, oh, cool, they got a karate club too. Well, I really enjoyed my experience in the karate club, so this is going to be great. So I show up. And there was no karate club. So, <laughs> and so, and I ended up, so I'm in Hokkaido. This university was not like, like Hokkaido University. This was the Hokkaido University of Education. So like Hokudai, Hokkaido University is in downtown Hokkaido. My university was not that. It was in Kitaku in the north, the north, uh, part of this district of the city at the very Northern edge, like from my university was farmland. So I had to take a bus an hour to get into the center of Sapporo. So, and there's no karate club in the, 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 the little part of where my university, or there's no, there's no dojo at all. So I got there, no karate club. I'm like, well, this is not, this is not acceptable. <laughs> This is not what this is not what I came to Japan to do. Was you were you were supposed to be there for how long? One more year. One more. Year. So I I'd, I'd already graduated college, right? I got my degree, and I spent the three months. Uh, I spent the summer before going to Japan down in Anchorage, actually at Tanaka Sensei's dojo. You know the same Shitoryu dojo. So I get to this karate club or this university, and there's no karate club. Well. Uh oh, right. So, one thing Hokkaido has a lot of Shotokan and it has a lot of Wado, and there is very little Shodyu. So, I literally got a phone book out and I'm looking through karate in the phone book trying to find a Shodyu dojo. So, I find this Shodyu dojo and I call the telephone number listed in the phone book and I say, Look, I'm an exchange student here. And I'm looking for a studio dojo. And uh, the, the sensei I speak with, his name is Mitsuchi Sensei. Um, he passed, you know, a while back. But um, he's like, okay, well, uh, my office is in, you know, the center. Um, our dojo is actually in the southern district of the city. So come to my office on, you know, Monday 
and we'll talk and then we'll go to the dojo together. And it was, he actually didn't have his own dojo. It was community centers. You know, this was very common in Japan. They'll, they'll teach classes at community centers or school gyms or, you know, wherever. And that's, that's what he did. He had two different locations that he would do like Monday and Thursday, I think, um, were, were dojo nights. So, you know, I can only imagine here I am and I show up at this and he was the like deputy branch chief of, um, a major real estate corporation and I show up and his secretary, his poor secretary probably had to be like, what is going on? And so he, we sit down and, you know, she brings tea and he starts basically the interrogation, right? Like, okay, so tell me about your karate and tell me about everything. And he's like, okay. And then he starts asking questions like, like how much do you know about karate? What, you know, could okay, you know this kata? Do you know that kata? And I just like, so when I got my shodan, I knew three kata, right? Three karate kata. And I had, I'd had to go back and I learned a whole bunch of kata. Like I learned the hand kata, like I had Chris teach me the hand kata and, you know, supadimpe and a bunch of other kata over, over that time. So I knew more kata when I had gotten to Hokkaido. So this was 1998. I went home in 1994, so, or 97, sorry. So three years had gone by. I graduated. I learned, I learned a lot more. And so he's like, okay, testing me. And uh, I was like, okay. So we go to the dojo now and we took a bus and walked and went to the dojo and, you know, again, same thing. Like he's watching, he's like seeing what's going on. And it was a small, small organization, small dojo. And then we would go to, we would frequently go to um, the after dojo training. Just as important. Right. The after dojo training happened, I think almost not every night of training, but frequently we would start talking karate and he would be talking for hours. He had, so he was a Rokudan in Shitokai, um, but he had, his sensei had passed and he wasn't, at the time when I was there, he wasn't officially associated with Shitokai. He was kind of just running his in an independent dojo and then he reaffiliated with Shitokai after I left. But you know, it was that, what do you think about this kata? Tell me what you think about this kata. Okay. Well, you know this guy. Okay, show me this kata. And it would, we'd be in the bar, at the karaoke place, at the little snack, right? And all of a sudden, he'd be like, "Okay, come here." So when we're doing this and we're doing, it's one o'clock in the morning. I'm like, you know, Sensei, I don't know about you, but I have to go to class in the morning. I think you have to go to work, Sensei. And he's like, "No, no, no, it's okay." Um, but we would be doing, you know, we would he he, he would be like, "Okay," and he would do we'd be drinking and then he'd like put this wrist lock on me there in the bar and he'd be like, okay, now what are you going to do? And how are you going to get out of this wrist lock? You know, like total, I mean, that's, that's just the way it was. Right. It is. It is that way a lot. I, I, a lot of people know that a lot of people don't know that. Um, but yeah. that is how it happens. Um, I mean, it's not, a re uh, well, maybe it is a requirement to a certain point. I mean, I know plenty of people that do not drink alcohol and, yeah. uh, they don't enjoy to be, I personally don't enjoy to be in the smoky izakaya, but yeah, the, the amount of training that does go on there and the conversations are, are priceless. I mean, you, you have to go through it. You, you benefit from it. So I just on, on this last trip, uh, went to dinner with sensei after, uh, after our last day of training, and I asked him a question about five ancestor fist or Chinese martial arts. And that spawned a 15 minute monologue about the difference in some of the differences in Japanese and Chinese martial arts coming down to societal factors such as clothes. 
why traditional Japanese clothes, the impact that that played on the development and the type of movement and the way of movement of Japanese martial arts, specifically like your obi, right? Not the karate obi, but like when you're wearing, you know, a hakama or, you know, a, a Japanese traditional obi versus Chinese clothing and how if you look at like Five Ancestor Fist or a lot of Chinese martial arts, it's very, they move a lot more than Japanese martial arts. And it was that, that after dojo training, where it was like, you know, sensei, I saw this and I was thinking that, you know, they do this move and it's like, oh yeah, it's Chinese martial arts, boom. And there we go. This whole, and I'm like, I get it now, right? Like this whole, like, it makes sense. So yeah, so I went to Hokkaido, I was there for a year. During that time, you know, I told you my, my friend, Chris Hodgen, he called me uh, about halfway through the year, maybe, maybe towards the spring or very early summer. He's like, hey, when are you coming home? I'm like, well, I'm going to, you know, August or September, August sometime. He's like, okay, um, do you want to do Team Kata? And I'm like, I don't know. I've never done Team Kata. I mean, I'd competed in some tournaments. I competed in, when I was in Nagoya, I competed in two tournaments. Um, when I was in Hokkaido, I competed in three or four tournaments, competed in the Hokkaido Prefectural Tournament, things like that. But I'm like, oh, Team Kata, sure. He's like, okay, because we're going to the World Championships in October. I'm like, we are? He's like, yeah, our third dropped out and we need a new third, the, the third member of the team. So um, I need you to start practicing like these three Kata. I was like, oh. Okay. Um, so yeah, so that was my introduction to international competition. This was uh, WKF, uh, U.S. national team. They had they had gone and over the summer they had won nationals. They'd been chosen to go to WKF World Championships, um, and then almost immediately after that, one of their team members had dropped out, and uh, so Chris called me and was like, "Hey, we." we want you to come back and we want you to, to, to join us. So when I left Hokkaido, I went back and I actually lived at Chris's house for two or three months and we trained a lot. Um, all day. Uh, we trained a lot. <laughs> where, were the, where was the tournament being held? So the tournament was in Rio de Janeiro. It was the 14th WKF World Championships. And we, um, so we went and we, I had no, it's one of those things you don't know what you don't know, right? So, I mean, we trained a lot. There was, I mean, we were training, you know, just what you'd imagine, three, four, five hours every day. Um, my wife, you know, my girlfriend at the time, she's like, I never saw you like for months, like for weeks at a time, like Sunday, I would see you for a couple hours. So we went to, to Rio and we got, back then it was points, right? It wasn't flags like now. It was, it was points, which it's gone back to kata competition. It's gone back to points, but it was points. And we had a tie for, we went through the first round. We did the second round and it was a three-way tie for eighth place, the last spot in the final round. And we were like one-tenth or two-tenths of a point shy of getting into the finals. So we ended up getting ninth at the world championships there. That was uh, 1998, uh, Wakai Atsuko's first time winning. Abe Ryoki did uh, male kata. And it was, 
it was like one of those eye-opening experiences. Just the level of competition um, there was was amazing. Well, gee, I can imagine, especially since you weren't really doing tournaments. No, I, I mean, I, I'd done some, but it wasn't. But not at that level, right? <laughs> not at that level. Not at that level. And not, not even close. I mean, it, and it had never been, I, I didn't even really know. I mean, conceptually, I knew that those things were out there, but it had never been anything that I'd been involved in, I guess. I mean, it was, I've, I'd been in university tournaments and, and club tournaments. And yeah, I watched the All Japan on NHK you know, in December when it comes out, you know, I mean, that was the time, you know, Yokoyama Hisami was very popular during that time. Uh, Wakayatsuko was just coming out. And, um, but to, to see it was, it was, it was like a whole nother level, obviously world championships, right? WKF world championships. So then we went back and we trained and the next year we went to the world championships is every other year. The next year we went to Pan American Championships in Havana, Cuba, where we ended up getting third. Um, actually, it was the, the uh, I competed, you know, Antonio Diaz was on the Venezuelan team. Peru got first, Venezuela got second, and then we got third. And uh, so, uh, you know, that was my, my time competing with Antonio Diaz back when he was very young on the, the Kata team. And we went back and we were just continuing. I mean, that was it. We went to nationals, won nationals again. And then um, I was starting to get burnt out on competition um, because we were, you know, that became the sole focus. So, we, I mean, that was it. It was tournament, tournament, tournament. Who were, who were the other, who was the other member of the team? So you, it was so you, your friend, me, Chris, Alaska. Chris Hodgman, and uh, John Rescober were the three of us. And, you know, we all still keep in contact. We joke, we're messaging back and forth all the time. But, I mean, it was an amazing experience. You know, I learned so much. But at the same time, after, you know, several years of it, it just, uh, I stopped enjoying the, the karate for the karate sake, if that makes sense. Um, and so I started, I started to look for, a change, something a little bit different. You know, it, it, it became like, I'm just, I'm just doing karate just to compete now. And so for me, that, that kind of, I, I kind of started to lose what I liked about karate during that time. And so I, I, was, I started to look for a change, um, which kind of ties into my, my Kobudo experience. I had, uh, I had never done Kobudo. Um, I think I'd, I, I think I practiced one bokata there at Tanaka Sensei's dojo a couple of times, but it never really, it just, it never uh, really grabbed me. And then we went to nationals in 1999 in, I think it was Charleston, West Virginia. And I'm watching the, the Kobudo and I see this guy get up there. His name was Eric Klinger. And he starts doing his bokata. And I sat there going, what on earth is that? I think it was, it was either Sakugawa no Kun or Shirotaru. But it was Yamane Ryu Kata. He was one of Oshiro Toshihiro Sensei's students. And his bow was moving so fast and fluid. And I was, you know, I hate to use the word spellbound, but I was mesmerized by what is that? I see what all those other people are doing. And why is his bow so different? I had no idea. No, I mean, none of, nobody in my circle that I knew, like I didn't know who that guy was or anything. And I just remember watching him out there just 
flow and move. And I didn't actually get to meet him until almost a year later. But that was my, that was my introduction to Okinawan Kobudo was 1999 seeing Eric Klinger do, I, I, can't, I can't remember whether it was Sakugawa or Shirataru. Might have been Tomari Shirataru. But uh, it, it was very eye-opening. I want to back up if we can just a little bit. When you were doing the yeah. tournaments with your, with your teammates doing the team kata, what kata were you doing? So we did, um, at the time we were doing uh, Niseishi, Rohai, and Suparimpe. Niseishi. Yeah. So we did, uh, yeah, Niseishi, right? Not, not, not what you would expect for competition. Not what we would expect for competition. That's it. Yeah. I, I love that kata. We have that kata in Okinawa Kempo. I'm sure it's going to be a little yeah. bit different. When you come to Okinawa next time, we'll, we'll do them together. But Yeah, definitely. That's uh, a great kata. It's a great kata. But, yeah, not what I would expect. You would not see that kata today on the tournament circuit. Oh, no, absolutely not. Right now, in fact, if one of my athletes came up to me and said I wanted to do Niseishi or Rohai, I would – have some very choice words with them and go home and think about, I'm going to tell you what kata you're going to do. But that's actually what, how, what happened to us was sensei Tanaka sensei was like, these are the kata you're going to do. I mean, and, and even, you know, he, he was, he's been a WKF level referee for a long time. And the things, the kata that people were doing in the late nineties, early two thousands were different. I mean, even now you never see knee pipe hole. You never, you know, you, you hardly ever see Grace Lau is the only one that does Tomari Basai really in WKF tournaments. Um, Shimizu will do uh, Tomari Basai once in a while, depending on the tournament. Unshu, the Shitoryu Unshu, I think Grace and uh, Shimizu are one of the only ones who do it. Um, so, you know, at that time, and I think at the World Championships, I think we did Niseishi first, and then we did Rohai second. And I think if we'd have done, if we did Nipai Po, for example, in the second round, it may have helped. You know, Rohai is a pretty short kata. So, um, you know, kata selection may have, may have, may have had, had a choice. But. Were your competitors doing similar kata? So all our competitors, there was a lot of Shotokan, right? Back then there was a lot more, you, you know, you use more Shotokan then. Um, but yeah, no, not very, it was all Goju Shiho Dai, Goju Shiho Sho, uh, Unsu, things like that for, for the Shotokan athletes. The, you know, the Goju athletes were doing Kururumpa, uh, like Seipai first round, things like that. Kurunumpa, Supadimpe. So yeah, the kata selection in tournaments today, which we'll, I'm sure we'll get to competition today here soon, uh, is very different. Very different. Yeah, it sure is. I mean, I, I wasn't in compete. I don't compete now. I wasn't competing then. We do like one tournament a year in our dojo, and <clears throat> yeah. I've done a few here on the island. But well, if it's not Ryu Ryu now, it's nothing, I guess, right? Kind of, yeah. <laughs> they are they are popular in in, in competition. Yeah, they so, they they've earned that right. Um, but, so you had that that uh, that moment of seeing someone operate a, a weapon, move a bow, yeah, yeah. Which, which was mesmerizing because you hadn't seen it or hadn't you know seen it to that level before. But never. Did you did, did you jump on that at that time, or was there a period of time? What happened when you got to the point where you're like, okay, I'm kind of done competing? And also, when you when you made that decision personally that you wanted to step away from tournaments, did did the other two gentlemen also make the same decision at the same time, or 
was it just kind of one at a time started peeling off? Kind of like that. Uh, I was the first one to kind of step away from the team, but it was, uh, and it was, it was not right at that time. It was almost a year later before that happened. You know, we kept training and whatnot. Um, but I had, uh, I needed to get a job. And so I was, I was working and, uh, I needed to, you know, adulting, right. Adulting starts to take over. So there was a variety of, a variety of things that all started to happen at the same time. Right. I was, I was working. Um, I ended up, you know, we decided to get married and all of these things happened. were starting to happen at the same time. And it was like, look, I, I'm kind of getting tired of, I'm kind of getting burnt out on the competition side of it. And I want to go back to, you know, what made martial arts fun for me. And I didn't know what that path was at the time, but interestingly enough, cause you mentioned UAU. So in late summer of 2000, I, uh, Sakamoto sensei and, uh, the female kata team, Japan kata team at the time, you know, Tomishiro Azusa and a couple of the other girls. Uh, so there's a UAU dojo in San Diego with Arashiro sensei and they were hosting, uh, Sakamoto sensei came for a seminar and they had a local tournament, like a, a small tournament that they sponsored. And so I flew from Alaska to San Diego to go to this seminar with Sakamoto sensei and uh, Eric was there again doing, and he did his Yamane Ryu Bokata. He drove down from the Bay Area, California, the San Francisco Bay Area, and to this tournament. And that's when I was able to talk to him and meet him. Like, hey, man, you know, what is that that you do? What are you doing with the bow? And he's like, oh, it's called Yamane Ryu. And I had no idea what Yamane Ryu was. I didn't, I didn't know what any of it was. I'm like, well, where, where are you from? you from here in San Diego? He's like, no, we live in, I live in the Bay area and my teacher's Oshiro Toshihiro sensei. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, cool. I, I really like that. And so I went back after that seminar, I went back, we ended up getting married and it was like, you know what? We're moving to California. Because, my wife, because we're adulting and Michael has to chase his passion. <laughs> I understand. Right? So my wife, not my now brand new wife, was like, we're what? Like, yeah, let's move to California. What are we going to do in California? I'm going to go to Oshiro Sensei's. I'm going to learn to swing a bow. What okay. This was uh, early 2001 when we finally moved. So, you know, I, we, we moved down, uh, and I basically just – you know, I, I'd kept contact. I'd emailed with Eric and, and I, I basically just showed up at the dojo one day. I mean, I, I, if I remember correctly, you know, he told sensei I was coming, but you know, I basically just showed up and was like, you know, sensei, I want to learn bow. And he's like, okay, let's go. You know, and I, I was speaking Japanese to him, you know, and you know, that, that definitely helped. Um, you know, that I, we could speak in Japanese and, you know, since I had been in, in California in, in the United States for, I mean, at that time it was probably still 30 years. I think he came in the late eighties and this is no, close to 20 years or something like that already at that time. And, you know, so he spoke English and whatnot, but the ability to speak Japanese with him was definitely an advantage. Um, but he was like, okay, let's go. So I started learning Yamane Ryu and was living in California and, you know, that was my start of my, 
you know, my Kobudo experience was, was and I, and I, and I didn't even, I didn't even go there for sensei's karate. I had no, I was just like, okay, I, I just want to learn the bow. Like I saw, I saw what Eric did and Eric was still there at the time, still training. And, um, you know, so I just started swinging the bow and that was, that became it. I mean, that was like everything I did for a long time was just go to work, uh, go to the dojo, swing the bow, you know, and, you know, I was taking karate classes too, but, you know, and, and, and Oshiro sensei, he's, uh, Shimaha Shorinryu, um, you know, a, a kind of a subdivision of Matsubayashi Ryu. But for me at that time, it was all about, all about the bow, all about swinging the bow. But you, you did start doing the, the karate also because it, <laughs> you, you, did you even have a choice or was it, you're in the dojo oh. and today. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I started doing karate also. It, it just, I, when I, and I say that when I went there, all I wanted, I mean, I, I started doing the karate also, but I didn't know Shodan Yu. I didn't know, you know, I didn't have any of that background knowledge. I was just like, okay, this karate is a little bit different. The kata are a little bit different. You know, the movement's a little bit different, but okay. You know, but that's when Sensei started talking about, you know, you start talking about using, using your muscles more using your body different and he starts talking about things and he even said that day I, I have notes in in my in my room over there my notebook from from 2001 where he talked about you know what original he's like if you want to look at original martial arts it's kind of like the, what we've talked about like original karate is just like japanese traditional bujutsu and I had no idea what he was talking about at the time but he's talking about no don't turn he's like use your use your gammaku Right, use your body here. Lift your back muscles. You know, mm -hmm. well, what do you mean, lift your back muscles? Like, what does that even mean? So, coming from a a sport tournament, um, not not style, but but uh, lifestyle, yeah. if you will, focus yeah. for for several years. You, I, I would assume that you were very different you were moving your body very different than what sensei wanted you to do did oh yeah you have a hard time transitioning did he look at you like man what are you doing here's where the interesting part is because sensei at that time was involved in the nkf the national the usa national karate do federation he was the chairman of the kobudo board so he like sensei's focus has never been competition but he understands it in fact while I was there, I think in 2000, late 2001 or early 2002, the world champion, well, Kai Atsuko came, was brought to our dojo or came to our dojo with one of the national team head coaches. She was training with Oshiro Sensei. Other Japanese athletes have come from Japan and trained with Oshiro Sensei on body mechanics and moving and things like that. So he, he, didn't do it, doesn't really focus on it, but he understands competition. So for him, he was like, no, just move your body different. And we, he would focus on trying to get me. And at that time, I, I didn't understand what he was really talking about. You know, it's one of those things that sometimes it takes a couple of years. And a lot of people do karate, but not a lot of people think about karate. And so it took me a long time to really understand a lot of what he was saying. And even conceptually, I was like, okay, I understand the words you're saying. 
And I think I understand what you mean, but I have no idea how to do that. When you say change directions or you say lift your back muscles. And so he would, he would sit, he, we would, we would have like sort of like private lesson. He'd come over here, like put his hand on my back and you see these muscles do this, make them do this. I'm like, well, how do I, how do I do that? And you got to, well, you got to lift them and you got to pull here. And, you know, and even now when, when he critiques me, like, oh yeah, you know, you don't have any, any power, but it's not the power. Like what we think of power It's because it's power. Cause you're not using your muscles correctly. You're not using your body correctly. Um, so that was a big adjustment for me uh, at first was trying to understand because nobody had ever said anything. You know, when we were talking about competition, it's, you know, stop here, do this, do, you know, move your body a certain way, but it's not, it's not the, the purpose is, is different, right? So as long as it looks like what it's supposed to look like, because that's how kata is judged, right? The, your visual presentation is what's, what's judged. Right, right. And that, <clears throat> that's a big problem. It was probably a problem when you were training and competing uh, on the national and the world level, right? And we'll get into... Uh, the the t-shirt that you're wearing there and and what you're doing now <laughs> competition but, yeah uh, at least you under understand the other side of it and and that was a conversation that Jonathan and I had as well while he was here because that man is training in a traditional style here in Okinawa karate uh, and kobudo and now he teaches that back in the states but he's he's working with you uh, for this uh, team that you have and I've had conversations with him about that and. Um, and with you, uh, when you were here in yep. Okinawa, we, we chatted about it. And there's someone that I didn't necessarily have a – I did talk to him about it a little bit. But someone that I gained a lot of respect for was Jesse Enkamp. When I was talking mm -hmm. to him about real – what I'm going to call real training, what I'm going to call real karate training, self-defense type of training versus just tournament training. Because for a while, I had this hang-up that, you're you're one or the other you're not both right and yeah. i've since changed my tune um and the first the first person that i talked to that changed my my feeling about that was jesse Encamp. but it was after right. i had been in the dojo with him when he was here in okinawa i attended uh he came to our dojo and then i attended um one of his seminars at the asato dojo and i was like okay this guy gets it it's not just tournament and then i didn't get to train with jonathan while i was here and I haven't had a chance to train with you yet either, but we will. Um, and you and I have talked quite a bit online about your sensei now and, and where he yeah. comes from, you know, his background and comparing him to some other people that we, we definitely respect. Um, so I, I can appreciate that now more so than I could just a couple of years ago about, all right, you can be a tournament guy. You can be a tournament girl and uh, you can still do some pretty amazing stuff with your real karate. That's kind of how I separate the two. It's it's interesting how this whole, you know, I mean, we'll we'll get to apex here in a few minutes, but when I went to Oshiro Sensei, I wanted nothing to do with with tournaments. I stopped competing. I think the only tournament I competed in when I was down there in California was uh, a local tournament. Like, and when I mean a local tournament, a dojo tournament, basically a, a dojo sponsored tournament. I just was like, you know, I, that's not my that's not my focus. It's not my interest right now. Thank you for listening to part two of my interview series with Sensei Michael Hagen. I hope you enjoyed this series thus far. 
In part 3 we will learn about the creation of Apex Karate Performance and the focus of Apex Karate Performance as a team. As always, thank you very much for tuning in to the Okinawa Karate Podcast. I am Josh Simmers, coming to you from the birthplace of karate, Okinawa, Japan.